Have you ever had those mornings, those times, even on a Sunday morning where you're just not feeling it? You're just not ready to worship. You're just not ready to, to praise God today. And, you know, maybe that's, uh, that was kind of me this morning. I mean, I, I love Jesus. I, I love the church. And, but, man, there just was uh, a little bit of heaviness and maybe uh, just some of the things that as a pastor you, you deal with. And maybe it could have been because Carol and I went to a demolition derby last night. And, whoo, the fumes of the Civic Center. <laughs> I don't know. But... Uh, uh, that worship really hit me today. Uh, that worship was really something I needed today. And as we sing to the Lord, and uh, just that uh, was just a special time. So thank, thank you to our team. They did a great job. This uh, last week, I spoke uh, briefly about Mother Teresa. She was at St. Francis Medical Center back, I, I believe, in the beginning to mid-90s. And and I was able to shake her hand as she walked down the hallway one day. And I wasn't even a Christian at the time. I didn't know Jesus, but I knew that shaking her hand and looking at her, that I was standing next to an amazing person because obviously her reputation had preceded her. And I, I felt like, uh, or I feel like today that I'm kind of dropping the ultimate name drop in a sermon. The, I met Mother Teresa, haha, you know. Before Mother Teresa, the most famous person that I ever met in my life was Merlin Olson. Some of you that are over 50 know who I'm talking about. Merlin Olson was a former LA Ram football player. He also played Father Murphy in a corny television show back in the back in the 80s. So I have Mother Teresa and Father Murphy. Maybe God had a theme going for me before I ever even knew him. But anyway, even though I didn't know Jesus personally at the time, when I met Mother Teresa, I'll never forget the time just meeting her in the lobby there of the hallway. You don't forget meeting somebody like her. You don't forget meeting somebody that you have placed up on this pedestal. You know, we have, uh, we have God and Jesus and probably right under there, you know, Mother Teresa, and then maybe Moses, I don't know, and then Father Murphy. And so um, he was down way below. But uh, I knew meeting her that day that I was shaking hands with somebody that was really close to God. And even though I didn't know God, even though I didn't have that personal relationship with Jesus at the time, I knew that meeting her was something very, very special. You would think that Mother Teresa felt close to God her entire life. You would think that she felt like he was with her the whole time and that he was uh, ministering to her and telling her what to do. You would think that Mother Teresa would feel like her and God are pretty tight, like her and Jesus were best friends, that, that Jesus led every step in her ministry as he cared for her as she cared for the lost and the, and the least there in India. But that's not the case. For years in her journey, even during her ministry, she went through this period that's called the dark night of her soul. For years, 
even while she was caring for the, uh, the people that lived in the slums of Calcutta, India, Mother Teresa felt like Jesus was absent from her life. She felt like God had, had abandoned her. She felt like she, he was not present. She felt alone, like her Savior had given up on her. And her dark night of the soul was this sort of a, it was a spiritual depression where she felt like she was separated from him. And she felt like she was going through the motions in her ministry and like she was acting on a previous call that like God had told her to do this, but now he had just left her all by herself. Like all of God's presence was back in the past, not in the present. Have you ever felt like that? I have. There have been some times in my life where I felt like I was just going through this ministry conveyor belt, like I was just doing what God had told me to do because of a call he had placed on my life a long time ago. And there's been times in my life, as a, even as a pastor, where I felt like I've struggled to make sense of the day-to-day stuff that, that we get to deal with as being a pastor, And I wanted God to show up in my life. I wanted him to be real. I needed him to take care of things. And let's be honest, I needed him to take care of a few people, right? But he didn't. And I felt lonely. And I felt like God wasn't there. And I felt like God had just left me alone. And and it hurts when you need God so much, but it seems like you have so little of him. Mother Teresa had a spiritual advisor. Can you imagine having that job? There was a person whose responsibility it was to spiritually advise Mother Teresa. I'm serious, this person actually existed. Whoever this was, though, he helped her to see that in those periods of loneliness in her life, in those moments of those dark nights of her soul, that... God allowed her to identify with the people that she was taking care of because they saw their poor circumstance. They saw their their meagerness as a sign that God had abandoned them. And how would she possibly understand what they were going through if she wasn't going through the same thing? She wouldn't have connected with those that she was ministering to unless God allowed her to travel through this period of spiritual loneliness. You know, Jesus had a moment like that as well. He was on the cross. He didn't speak a whole lot. He only spoke these seven phrases, which were recorded for us. And we've been taking a look at all of these during this Lenten period, this time in between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And This Lenten period is supposed to be a time of this personal uh, preparation, a time of personal uh, reflection as we look upon our own faith and our own relationship with Jesus. Jesus spoke those first three phrases that we've already talked about relatively soon after he was placed on that cross. And he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And it was this emotional moment of forgiveness for those who did not deserve it at all. Today you will be with me in paradise, was said to the criminal on the cross that was next to him. It was a word of hope to somebody that up until this moment, right before his death, had lived a hopeless life. 
And until just then, he thought he was going to die a hopeless death. But then he met Jesus. And then there was a time he talked to Mary, his mom, and John, his friend. And he said, here is your son and here is your mother. And even during death, Jesus was establishing, establishing this new family for all of us to belong to with God as our father and Jesus as our brother. The rest of the phrases that Jesus is going to speak from the cross here are relatively late. They're a little bit closer to his death. Jesus' crucifixion, Scripture says, began about 9 o'clock in the morning. And suddenly around noon, three hours later, the sky suddenly turned dark. What's going on? Was there a storm that was going through? Was this a solar eclipse or, or something like that? Nobody knows, but the sun seemed to shut off for about three hours. And then the crowd heard, perhaps maybe a week and struggling Jesus at this time, he's now going to say the longest phrase that he speaks from this executioner's cross. And they hear him say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus here is quoting the opening line of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is this prophetic psalm and expresses a lot about what the Messiah is going to experience. It ends a little bit better, though, with this note of confidence in God. But it starts out with this horrific cry of divine abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your son. I understand the humans in Jesus' life abandoning him. I, I, I get that. I get Peter forsaking Jesus. Peter was this hothead. He was a flawed man. I understand that. I understand the disciples running for cover and being fearful for their lives since they were followers of this guy who's now on a cross. I even understand Judas selling out Jesus for a few pieces of silver. But God, his father, his Abba, Jesus had never felt a, a single moment up until this point, a single moment where he was not connected with his father. But at this moment on the cross, as the weight of, uh, of the sins of the world were placed upon his shoulders, Jesus feels abandoned, forgotten, forsaken. And it's a great mystery of God. And Yes, it's a mystery because I do not, nor does anybody else completely have this all figured out. In this moment of mystery, God is pleased with his son for providing the ultimate sacrifice, yet at the exact same time has cursed his son. The apostle Paul says this in, in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. God has sent his son. He sent Jesus to the cross, but it was a willing sacrifice. 
Jesus was submitting to a death he didn't deserve. Jesus was paying the price for our sins. And then about 3 p.m., the same time, by the way, that the Passover lamb would have been sacrificed in the temple, Jesus dies. But before his last breath, he feels our sin. He feels the weight of our sin. And he senses the separation from his father because of it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't want to go down too deep of a rabbit trail here this morning, but I want you to think about this for for just a moment. The night before Jesus was crucified, we find Jesus in in the garden and he's praying. He's praying to his Abba, his father. And we're going to look at that prayer a little bit more closely next week. But he was also so stressed out by what he was going to be doing The anguish of what lay before him caused him to literally drip bloods of sweat. And Jesus, since he was God, knew exactly what he was going to be going through. And as bad as as the beating that he endured, as as painful and as excruciating as, as being on a cross would be, I highly doubt this or that is what caused that kind of stress. Could it have been, could it have been that the stress of the upcoming separation from his father would be the greatest source of stress that Jesus could ever imagine possible? See, you and I don't even understand what this would be like. Jesus could, and I believe he did. We live in a completely broken and sinful world all the time. But this life is nothing. It's nothing compared to a complete separation from the author of all that is good and eternal divorce from everything that is love. And I've never been a, never been a preacher, I've never been a pastor that, that scares people into heaven with a promise of hell, but... What, God, what caused God himself so much despair, merely thinking about a separation from God is what we would experience if we don't turn to God in this lifetime. That's what's waiting for us if we don't turn to God. And if there were ever any question of Jesus' love for you, he willingly took on all of that so you wouldn't have to. See, Jesus had his own dark night of the soul when he felt abandoned and he felt forgotten and he he felt forsaken by his father. And scripture says that Jesus understands everything that we will face. There's nothing, there is nothing that Jesus has left out and that includes feeling completely forsaken by God. We've, we've seen the song before, uh, uh, we are forgiven because he was forsaken. 
So when we feel that, that dark night of our soul, we can rest assured that our brother in Christ has already been through this. He understands. But what we experience in this life isn't the same. We feel at times, we think that God has abandoned us, but he's still here. We may even cry out our own and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How come you aren't here? How come it feels like you have left me all alone, God? And may it comfort us to know that even though our emotions and our feelings are, are gifts from God, they are still human. And so therefore, they are not always indicative of the truth. And so you can write these things down. His promise is still true where he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We may feel forsaken, but we aren't. He was forsaken so you don't have to be. But I can hear maybe your mind asking and saying, but, but what does this mean, Pastor Brian? What does it mean that God for, forsook his son? What does this mean to be forsaken? Did he really do that? Could God, could God the Abba, could God the Father really abandon his son like that? And what kind of father would do that? Well, here's the best answer I can give you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, and I don't know that I will ever know this side of heaven. Maybe, as Pastor Cheryl says, that'll be on the list of questions that we get to ask someday. There are so many mysteries of God that, that our three-pound brains just can't figure out, and we just don't comprehend. But maybe there's a couple scenarios, I, but I think both of these fall short of, of the complete explanation of what's going on here. This theory number one of why did God or why did Jesus ask God, why have you forsaken me? Theory number one is this, that Jesus wasn't forsaken by God at all. He was merely quoting Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22 is this beautiful psalm. It's, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's in your handout there. It's in your notes. You can do that this week if you'd like to do that. Jesus did quote word for word the first line of this psalm. There are those that think that Jesus was doing that because the audience there that day, the people there at the foot of that cross, there were a lot of Jewish people there. There was his family, his friends, and there were those that put him there, the Jewish people, and they would all know Psalm 22 really well. Psalm 22 talks about the long-awaited Messiah. See, the Jewish people at this time hadn't heard from God. There had been no prophet from God for over 400 years and now they were being oppressed, first by the Greeks and now by the Romans, and they'd had enough, and they're waiting for their Savior to come. They were desperate. They were desperate for a Savior to come. And in their waiting, they probably would have recited Psalm 22. They probably even would have memorized this psalm. And so Jesus quoting this, maybe Jesus quoted this entire psalm that day. And all we have from the gospel writers is that they recorded the first line. Although I highly doubt Jesus quoted this entire psalm because 
breathing on that cross would have been almost an impossibility, much less saying in this entire psalm that day. So he says one verse. But the people that were there would have recognized that verse immediately. They would have, their mind would have immediately gone to Psalm 22. It makes sense that he would quote this psalm. Listen to some of it here. It says, I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And all my bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And then near the end of this psalm, it says, And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Sounds like a pretty close description of what's happening right in front of their eyes, doesn't it? It would make sense that, that he would speak Psalm 22 and point towards himself as the Savior. It would make sense that he would say this psalm so that those that were there would know that he is the one fulfilling the prophecy of this psalm that was written at least a thousand years before he was ever born. It would make sense that he would say this psalm to give the people their hope that the story is not over. Even though they see the Messiah on the cross, it's not over. But is this why Jesus said these words? Is this why he quoted Psalm 22? I believe that Jesus said those words for a reason. And, and if, if we believe that the only reason was to point towards himself as the Messiah, I think we are underestimating the meaning of that word forsaken. I think he did feel forsaken by his father. And that's why he said those words. So the other option, number two here, did God truly forsake his son? God couldn't look at the sin that his son was absorbing. Well, he could, but he couldn't. If we only accept this option, then I believe that we're overestimating the word forsaken. And I think this is hard for, for us to understand because we look at this from the eyes, we look at this from the understanding of a human. We, yes, you and I, all of us in this room have been created in the image of God, but we experience this world through hum, human flesh. We experience this world through human discernment. We are guided by the Holy Spirit but we are limited by human nature. The book of Isaiah says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The suffering of the son didn't please the father, but as it accomplished the work of reconciling the whole world back to God, 
That completely pleased the Father. And so because of this, because this was the plan from the very beginning, see, Jesus wasn't plan B. Jesus wasn't something that God had to come up with, this other scheme to start to save people because the animal sacrifices in the temple just didn't seem to be working. No, from the beginning of time, even before the beginning of time, this was the plan for the world. This was the plan for you, for you to be saved. Someone has to take your sin upon themselves. Someone had to willingly become a curse for you and live it out through death so that you don't have to do that. What Jesus did on the cross and in putting himself in the place of all of us guilty sinners was the greatest act of love and self-sacrifice that the universe has ever seen. And so I don't mind saying that Jesus felt forsaken of the favor of God at that moment. There's a sense in which Jesus was never more in the Father's favor as he performed this greatest act of love. So was Jesus pointing to himself as the Messiah by quoting Psalm 22? Yes. Did Jesus feel forsaken by God as he bore the weight of all of our sins and he, as he was going through this darkest night of his soul? Yes. The Gospel of Mark describes what is happening that day. It says, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness had fallen over the land. And as the sun, the S-O-N, was starting to fail on the cross. The sun, the S-U-N, faded in the sky. What was happening in the soul of Jesus was mirrored in the sky for everyone to see. And Jesus, the Messiah, was fulfilling Psalm 22. And he was a hope for the world. And Jesus, for a few moments felt hopeless and separated by God or from God. You have had moments in your life where it's, it's been the perception in your life that God is absent, but in, in reality, God has never left you. God has never forsaken you. Jesus experienced separation from the Father so that you don't have to. If you are a child of God, no matter how abandoned or maybe how lonely you may feel, God has always been with you and he always will. Remember, with forgiveness and salvation came that family with God. And at the very beginning of Jesus's public Ministry, God speaks from heaven and says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And if we fast forward to the cross, maybe those words, maybe we didn't hear them from heaven, 
But I believe as God the Father saw his son suffering and dying upon that cross, as he saw the reconciliation of the entire world and all of creation coming back to him through what his son was doing, we could have heard those same words. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Yet even though he could not face the sin that his son was receiving, God knows that once that price has been paid, the ending, the, the next step, the fulfillment of that cross is going to be a glorious resurrection. And so that hope for humanity, the promise that Jesus took, that he took on everything, he took on all of our punishments, including an absence from the Father, so that we would never have to go through that ourselves. You may not see the, the darkness that is in your ordeal as a positive thing at all. You may not see that darkness, uh, that dark night of your soul, ha- that it would have a glorious ending, but God can. And God is still walking with you through that every step of the way. What you are going through today is not being wasted. Mother Teresa identified with those that she was caring for because she went through a dark night of her soul. Jesus went through a dark night of his soul and gave you a glorious promise that if you choose him, if you choose his forgiveness, then you will never be separated from your heavenly father. So your suffering is not in vain. Your time when it seems like God is present, when it seems are, so, when it seems like God is distant, it's teaching you that God can and will even use your suffering to develop us into better people, to develop us into images of His Son, to develop us into people who can love and enjoy Him forever. So let's bow our heads and pray to God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit today. Jesus, it seems very strange to us to thank you for words like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Lord, we do thank you that you took on the ultimate, the ultimate measure of stress. You truly understood what it would be to be separated from the Father. It's something that us here on earth just don't understand. Lord, may it remind us that we have a decision to make, that we have an opportunity here on earth to to live with you, to follow you, and uh, to ask you for your forgiveness and, and call upon you as our King and our Savior. Lord, we don't want to be separated from all that is good. We don't want to be separated from you. But Lord, we do thank you that you experienced all that we could ever experience, including 
the moment that we may never understand here on earth so that we would never have to experience it at all. You have given us a way. You have helped us, Lord, to escape the penalties of our sin because you paid the ultimate price, including being separated from your father. We thank you, Lord, that at the end there was this glorious resurrection. And we thank you, Lord, that even though we, some of us here may be going through that dark night of our soul, that on the other side, that side that only you can see, that side that only you uh, know is going to be coming, there is a glorious experience for your kingdom. Lord, may we minister to people that are going through the same thing that we did. May we be able to help them. May we be able to point them to a father that truly loves us so much that he allowed his son to suffer in this way so that we would never have to. God, you are so loving. You are so good to us. Thank you for loving us this much. And as we prepare for Easter, we thank you for your cross. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice in your life. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here with us today and intervening on our behalf. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen.